0: Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on GigaOM.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps.
1: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Voices in DevOps, where I'm delighted to welcome Dave West, who's uh, running uh, scrum.org. I have to say for the record, I used to work with Dave in 1997 on agile software development. Only we didn't call it that back there. And Dave actually knew what he was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was able to pretend because of what Dave told me. So um, that's the background to that. And now 20 years have passed. So hopefully I do know what I'm talking about a little bit more. But Dave, you absolutely must know what you're talking about. Uh, But what's happened, I mean... How did you even get there? Because I'm not even sure I know the answer to that. And what's happened over the past 20 years to get you to
0: to where we are now? So hi, John. Yeah, yes. 20. Gosh, thank you for reminding me how old I am at the start. That's always a great thing to do. I am as old. I recently I was. Uh, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I was at uh, soccer, as we call it here in America. I live in, uh, for the viewers, I listen or the listeners, I guess we should say, I live in um, in, in America, in Boston, uh, and so they call it soccer here, even though I have an English accent. So I was at soccer and I was having to talk, you know, stand next to some parents watching my child follow the ball, just a few steps <laughs> behind it. And, we uh, and were chatting and I said, Oh yeah, I finished. I left university. I went to university over 30 years ago and they went, how old are you? And they said, "I said I'm 49." And they went, "Oh my God, you don't look 49." So I felt, I felt vindicated that I'm not as old as as I feel, I guess, some some of the time. But thanks for mentioning yeah. that. So the, the the question that you asked, um, and by the way, you did. 20-odd uh, years ago know lots of things uh, around um, objects and mm-hmm. software development and process. And,
1: and what uh, I didn't know, it turned out you can make up. And <laughs>
0: no, that wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> but um, so you asked me, how, how did I get here? So it's interesting. I was that kid in in, uh, in a high school or in, in that, that spent a lot of time in the BBC Model B lab, um, you know, writing code. And I was really it, got my first robot to move around the table and fall off and break. And then I had to pretend it was somebody else. You know, I was that child. um, Mm -hmm. So I had a very clear sort of mandate from an early age to sort of become a software engineer or a, you know, a coder or a programmer or, or somebody that could literally spend all their time in front of screens, it was, it was great. So I went to university like everybody, then got a job working in, in industry writing actually insurance software. And what was interesting is I realized quite quickly that the last thing you do as a software engineer working for a large insurance company is actually write any software. You spend a lot of time filling in forms, desk checking you know i I checked my desk many times it was perfectly fine and didn't change that much uh uh, you know doing all that kind of stuff so i realized quite quickly that even though i loved writing code i was doing more at home than i was in the office so i quickly got into objects um did my masters you know started that journey and uh realized oh was the way to go now as i got more into objects bizarrely process became more important to me. The last thing in the world as a software engineer, I wanted more process. But mm-hmm. I realized quite quickly that the relationship between architecture, you know, um, and the way in which you work, the relationship between these, you know, these objects, these things, well, it was, it was interesting that you had to work in a different way. And that, that led me to the unified process and to the work of Grady and Jim and, and, and ultimately Eva. and, that then led me to write a book. That then led, led me to, it sort of like brought me through this sort of journey as I sort of went up the, the pecking order from, I just want to write code. Mm. I just want to work with others to write code. I just want to write code that doesn't blimmin' break all the time because everybody else is writing the wrong code. I just want to deliver business value so my code is actually used. I just want to, you know. And, that and, does take me I back
1: I, actually because uh, uh, Back when it was, I can't remember, it was the select perspective, wasn't it? That, that yes, our software yeah. process. And I can remember clients saying to, to us, uh, uh, Do we have to use it? Can we just use the process without the, the tool? <laughs> and the answer
0: right. was no.
1: But they wanted the process, no, because we're trying to sell the tool and you got the process for free. Um, but um, that was the process, it worked.
0: I mean, it was a. But it's the stuff that we were doing back then. And it's interesting because obviously I, I'm fortunate enough to run Scrum.org for Ken Schwabu, uh the co-creator of Scrum and one of the, you know, guys that signed the Agile Manifesto. And it's interesting when you look at that group, you know, Kent Beck, Mike Beadle, Alistair, Ari, Ward, Martin, they're all OO guys, right? I mean, uh, you know, a lot of them are RO guys. You know, as maybe Jeff isn't, maybe Jim Highsmith isn't. Ron Jeffries definitely was. You know, you you just so so it's interesting that the, this agile phenomenon and obviously the DevOps phenomenon, which is sort of that sort of I don't know, him and her, you know, yin and yang of the of this change that we're driving, is has been driven from those those people because ultimately it's about how people work together to solve complex problems, right?
1: Uh, so, I mean, let's, let's get on to that because um, DevOps has kind of emerged as, uh, you know, uh, Gene King wrote books about it and other people have written stuff about it. But as you say, there's agile uh, has moved through through extreme programming up to this point, up to, to where you are now with uh, sprints and so on. And then ops has kind of come in from this other direction. Mm. Uh, from your experience, because I I was spending more time on infrastructure in that key five-year period what happened did it kind of did ops kind of go look enough or did dev kind of mature or how how did it actually
0: it's, it's interesting because we all know i mean we all know we all know that it all started in belgium right devops and um i think because of beer maybe i hope because of beer and uh it was originally oh, called agile goodness. infrastructure right and the reason why it was called agile infrastructure was because in strangely the netherlands or benelux has a huge agile community and very scrum very you know you know the really I guess if you build a, you know, a country below sea level, that you become quite empirical. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, maybe. Yeah, like, hang on. Was that water? Was that meant to you, be there?
1: You're certainly thinking about what happens the next day, aren't you? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, day two is important. And so. also, there's a sorry, we're just slight aside here, but the Dutch in general have a very sort of like kind yet cynical view of the world you know they're very good at sort of asking you very direct questions and you know in the belgium you know so i think maybe they're just more agile enabled i don't know but but not not Yeah. So, so it started off as saying, "Well, hang on a minute. You've got these agile teams, predominantly Scrum teams, delivering incrementally, trying to learn. The planning cycle is increment is is these sprints, right? What the heck? Why does it still take us six months to release that to the world? Could we not change?" And it's all about sort of that's what drove that initial movement. Now. You know, very very simple motivations, right? Oh, hang on a minute. If if potentially shippable, you know, is is the is the increment at the end of each sprint, uh, or iteration, or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't mm-hmm. really. Mind, obviously, I come from a certain point of view. Um, what, how, do, you know, why can't we release it? What does that mean? And that's got huge implications on the business. So mm-hmm. implications not just in terms of the definition of done and what it means for a dev team to deliver working software. Uh, you know, where testing lives, etc. It's got implications into robustness of, of 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 the underlying infrastructure to support it. You know, it's it's got implications to the business itself. To oh my god, what? how does the customer base deal with the fact that your software is continuously changing? You know, how do you, how do you do customer, you know, sales education field, you know, where does, what does the, you know, where does the support organization live in this Mm or huge implications. So just by moving a little bit to the right, dare I say, pushing left in terms of the activities, you end up in this sort of really interesting, set of problems Mm -hmm. and ultimately and the thing that really really frustrates me is that it it ends because as a software engineer i hate this it all comes down to ultimately levels of trust psychological safety you know (laughs) sort of like your ability to sort of like frame problems all of this sort of like soft stuff Mm -hmm. uh which really is so annoying but yeah i mean it's funny how the two of sort of driven each other to drive to this next kind of business way of working on on on, on the business
1: so you, you just read this so my first job which you don't know uh, was as a programmer for philips um uh, working in holland and i can remember um uh, it, it was workstation based it was cad software for electronics so uh, yeah. i can remember going out there going out to holland with some stuff i just built a uh, beta version and someone said to me so that was mostly alpha wasn't it you like yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right it's a fair cop uh but um so that pragmatism and and honesty um even if it hurts slightly i i, I fully engage with um when you because you've worked uh obviously you've worked for the irish akerson foundation you um you ran it, didn't you? Yeah, you're, I ran the US. You ran the US. There you go. Bit, yeah. you, you work for Rational, part of IBM uh, on, on that side of things. You, you've seen it as an analyst. Uh, you've, you've seen it as actually hands-on. Um, while there is no such thing as the kind of generic enterprise, you, you've clearly still had uh, lots of experience of engaging with enterprise-sized companies you can't really just go in there and say, hey mate, it's soft skills. Can you, how, do, how does how do the things manifest themselves uh, when you're looking at enterprise?
0: Well, the, I mean, ultimately those soft skills represent themselves in behaviors, organizational structures, patterns, et cetera. So even though at the end of the day, it is about people working more effectively together and, you know, and to deliver more value to their customers. And it is a socio-technical system. Yes, you're right. So you have to think about behaviors. You have to think about okay, how do you incentivize people? Um, how do they report? Where does their career go? You oh. know, what does what does risk really mean? How do we, you know, what? How do we manifest that in terms of the architecture? Great example, very tangible example. How many times, John, do you talk to a customer at continuous delivery and they say, "Oh, yeah, there's no way we can do that." Yeah. And and you say to them, and they're like, "Well, we've got all this legacy. It's very hard and challenging." You say to them, "What I say to them, which maybe you say the same thing, uh, as I didn't invent this. I say, so when you've got a production outage, how quickly can you fix it?" And they're like, "Well, you know, it depends on the outage, but you know, I say, "Well, give me an example. The last time you had one, you know, a serious one. How quickly did you fix it?" "Oh, well, yeah, you know, two hours, four hours." So you can release software really quickly, right? Oh, yeah but that's different why is it different well it's different because we have the team you know there's only a certain we have the we get the best people oh that sounds worrying do you, it means you have the best people so how do we make sure we only have best people working there Maybe we put in some community or guilds or chapters or something or whatever trendy term we use. You know, so but getting to the nuts and bolts of the issues is really, really important. So when I talk to enterprises, I tend to look at those sort of things. I tend to talk about how do you measure value? Mm-hmm. And, and then well, how is that translated to the customers? How do you align your teams? You know, do you align them to subsystems and these like bits or do you align them to customers and outcomes you know how do you, how do you empower your product owners where do your product owners come from you know it's relatively simple sets of questions and then how does that translate into the machine that is the organization you know, and and increasingly i'm thinking uh, which is maybe you are as, as well but i'm thinking that um, alignment is crucial Mm. and core and context are crucial so aligning teams to real outcomes real customers real thing mission kind of stuff you know and then core and context most organizations are trying to do too much you know they don't like making decisions so that's not great is it you know i was at a large uh, financial insurance company and uh, well, their COO got up on, on stage. I'm not going to say who they are, and he did a fantastic job. And then somebody asked him. They said, "Look, we see from the execs there's too many priorities. Are you going to mm. change that as we move to Agile?" And he said, "No." I mean, he did it in a really nice way, but he yeah, said yeah. no.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. He said, talked about the empowered individual. Talked about you know measurement. Talked about controls but then ultimately said no. The bottom line is you've got to make choices. You know, you've got to keep focused on the things that are important and the bigger you get and the more complex and the less choices you make the less successful you're going to be so core versus context is one way of thinking about this what is your core what are your context and that might not be today you may have to transition away from certain things and then the other thing is aligning once you know what your core is aligning those teams and teams of teams to that to that um situation and then building an environment around them to be successful you know whether that's operations whether that's hr whether that's legal whether that's you know contract whatever those things are it is actually quite simple but we make it more complicated than we would like to and i get why i mean we're human beings right you know we we want everything we 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 try to fix everything we try to build these complex structures processes etc i get why but it, it doesn't have to be that
1: complex I, I get the impression for i mean there's two things you're saying the one is um that you shouldn't be over here you should be over there you know that there's a better place and it, it's kind of almost co- not coping strategies but living in a world where change is the norm rather than the exception requires a change in a whole bunch of dimensions but the other thing that you said earlier or hinted at earlier is organizations are already good at that even if they're very big it's just they're not thinking that they're good at that so you say you know for example how do you deal with a a, a major outage oh yeah well we can do it and it's like well mate you're already doing it then and it's how so do we get let's codify those. into that yeah
0: exactly and i mean these companies have become successful so there's actually a really interesting tension or contradiction you know if i was a buddhist i'd find some cool name for it but between the 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 organizations that are built around efficiency around mitigating risk about you know sort of like does, making sure they never make the wrong mis- decision making sure that there's they're very efficient making sure that they take the shareholder value and don't necessarily give you the best return on it but make sure you don't lose it right mm-hmm. so that's what they're built in. but it's a big lie because ultimately you know every system every process everything there's a group of people that sort of deliver value in spite of that not because of that a lot of these organizations are incredibly capable but their capability is almost if we admit it we admit that we weren't doing like hey we delivered it uh, a release to production in two hours or four hours because of production outage and it didn't use a lot of those things that we've invested millions of dollars in change management processes you know massive amounts of erp you know sign offs checks some um, you know because why is that well because audit were in the room with us Um, You know, compliance was in the room with us. We've got amazing engineers that knew the software. We've got the business that knew the implications and the risk. We've got everybody that can, you know, we've got somebody that would make the decision, maybe even the CIO or the CEO in this state. Mm -hmm. Oh, hang on a minute. (laughs) But they don't want to admit that if they wanted to do that, they just have to scale that. They just don't want to admit that because then they're admitting that they wasted millions of dollars before on those other things. It's sort of like one of those fantastic sort of like contradictions, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing, by the way, John. I think this is just we're going through a huge change across industry after industry, and I think that it's just part of the course. Really. But hang
1: on, hang on, hang on. So the. I'm reminded of a, a, a large UK government department I was working for. That was, was so big, it operated as a campus. And yeah, the NHS is going to be the same. Um, and yeah, other large uh, organisations are going to be much the same. Within that organisation, there wasn't one IT department. There were several IT organisations. Yeah. And the ones that always impressed me were the ones that somehow, almost like a swan, seemed to just do everything faster and better and righter and actually deliver things, whereas other people say, oh, no, it can't be done, mate. You know, oh, it's too hard. Uh, Well, you know, well, we tried for two years, and uh, we're still working on it, and the other requirements, et cetera, et cetera. And so kind of what you're saying is you don't have to say that everything else is rubbish, but just work with those bits that are working and just kind of acknowledge them, accept them, grow them, look for the agile parts of your organization and grow out from there because they will already exist.
0: Exactly. So. And They will, of course, they will. They have to. There's no way you can be successful without a level of agility. Mm. There's no way. It's like it's like when you roll out those those sales processes and CRM tools. The really good salespeople just carry on doing the way that they're doing. Maybe take some of the good goodness without necessarily adopting it. You just they're, they're successful in spite of the environment around them. Now, unfortunately. That, that doesn't make it easy because those people are, they don't take the status quo naturally. You know, that, that, that swan that you described that sort of gracefully moves around the, the, de, the, the, departments and do gets stuff out, delivers value. They're made up of a certain set of people that have accepted mm-hmm. that they, that it's, it's making choices and accepting they're your choices, and not blaming the, the system or the man, as they say in the U S and, um, I think that that's really, really interesting as well. Ultimately, you know, it's like when we teach Scrum at Scrum.org, one of the most important, Scrum's simple. It's empiricism, self-organization, and a desire for continuous improvement, right? That's all it is. (laughs) It's simple. Now, nailed it. Uh, You can take PSM 1 now. But (laughs) what what the reality is, self-organization is really, really hard because the first thing that you see on most teams is, oh, we can't do that because... Mm. oh yes but (laughs) you know you're like well hang on a minute you have to take ownership now you cut the suit to suit the cloth yeah you don't want to bang your head against a brick wall all the time but you have to take ownership of your own destiny as it were which fairly philosophical sort of conversation and you know people your listeners probably thinking by golly how do we make this real in our you know organization
1: there's 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 a A lot of the time we talk about all organisations are on a journey. And uh, so if you're here, you want to start moving to there, et cetera, and you will mature over time, which is this kind of linear approach, which actually never works because you'll still be on the same journey in 20 years' time. Whereas what you're talking about is actually almost an acceptance of the fact that your organisation might be succeeding already. And, and, and acceptance that some parts of it might already be, I'll call it organizationally mature or um, uh, capable, capable up there already. And so just stop doing the stuff that isn't that, which is a different way around than try harder at doing the stuff you should.
0: It it is interesting, you know, it's like when you get a great coach, a coach will focus you on the things that you do well and strengthen those things, you know, Um, whether it's eating, whether it's, you know, habits that you can can rely on. The bottom line is that I think that we have to focus – I think we have to, one, take responsibility for the situations we're in, Mm -hmm. look to the things that we're doing well, rejoice in those things and not spend our whole time saying, well, trying to introduce this new way of working. We have to ignore everything that we've done before. That's just silly. But we do have to get things some of the things that get in the way and get rid of them. Like the incentive programs that I see over and over again. We expect people to work as teams, but we incentivize them as individuals. The promotion models where we, where we encourage people to hoard knowledge and, and not share it. You know, Mm -hmm. those things are just uncool, man. They just don't work. All they do is they they create this sort of very competitive, very individualistic model where transparency is dropped because people aren't honest about a program, a project, their knowledge, their experience, you know, whatever the situation is. Now, when you have a production failure, that tends to fall apart because nobody is thinking about, oh my God, how is this going to help my promotion? Or oh my god, what happen- if I share this with the boss? They're going to realize that I kn- I don't know this, and I know this. You know, mm-hmm. you know. People don't care about that; they just want to get the thing done. We need to change our organization. I love
1: this. Uh, so, uh, something I've been writing about is uh, couldn't think of a better term, so I called it DevOps friction. But essentially, it's all the things that stop DevOps from happening from a technical perspective. So. Oh, but we've got—it's all the yeah, buts. Yeah, but security. Yeah, but governance. Yeah, but APIs. Yeah, but um, uh, don't have the right information. Yeah, but legacy systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they all slow things down over time. Um, yeah. What you're talking about are the organisational yeah, buts, um, and it's the same point that what you've got to do is just stop them. It's not so much try harder, or do the clever, it's stop doing the stupid, stop doing the things that are getting in the way of making it simple.
0: And when you get down to the nuts and bolts on most of these things, when you ask why Near the five Ys or whatever for everything they tend to be for a good reason however the way that they've been implemented and the way that the reality as as the model changes as we become more team focused and the reason why we become more team focused is because the problems we deliver on or which solving require teams to work in a way that we're not totally sure about up front So Hmm. we need these highly diverse teams of multiple skills, you know, working together, cross-functional, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so we need to think, but we need to incentivize them. So how do we bonus them and et cetera? Now, interestingly, as Dan Pink proved over and over again in the surprising truth what motivates us, the things that we think motivate don't and the things that we don't think probably do. So we need to think, yeah. So just step back and say, hey, what are we trying to achieve? We want to build an environment for these teams to be successful how do we do that mm-hmm. and um, yes and not yes but and you know humble and kind all those sort of things it's, it's funny all the things that you that the American sort of education system doesn't like you know we like individuals we like you know levels of people you're top of your class you're you know top five of your class you're gonna we, that. They are they, we've yeah, proven over and Fest over again Honestly. I'm the best at humility. Yes. I've nailed it. <laughs> exactly. In my humility. Yeah. But the point is that that isn't it. That's not how you build a great team. That's how you build a great group of individuals that, that don't work well together, that are all mm-hmm. in it for themselves. You need to build teams that are in it for each other and in it for delivering value.
1: So in terms of, I mean, sounds great. Let's do it. But I'm thinking about chicken and egg. I'm thinking about... um There must be an order to do things that there's certain base uh, elements that if you haven't got them right, then probably the next stuff is going to be harder than it should be. And where it's easy to say is, you know, just be nicer to you, be kind or or whatever and and have a, 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 et cetera, that won't necessarily come naturally. So what would you say are the things to get right first?
0: First, number most important thing is alignment. I, I said it earlier, align your teams to outcomes and everybody accept that that's why you're aligned. So by the way, that highlights one very important thing. Most organizations like teams so much, they put people in hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, would, I, I can't say that you can't be in a few, but I can say that you can't be in millions. <laughs> Reduce that to the bare minimum that you can that means choices and we don't like choices but that's the reality um, so number 1 is align your teams to clear outcomes make them very super aware of that whether it's customer personas whether that's you know internal users whatever that is but find your customer and as soon as you find your customer a lot of the other stuff starts falling away particularly if you get the customer to have to get the team have a vested interest in the customer suddenly everything else kind of falls apart you know you, you remember this um i mean we've worked together in our past we worked together helping customers and everything else kind of that got in the way of that we kind of just dealt with you know whether it's oh well that customer isn't in the same it means i'm going to have to travel on a sunday night you know i don't like traveling on or whatever you know whatever those things are oh well how do i deliver that training class to them how do i you know whatever those yeah. things are but the customers help solve lots of problems because you get a vested interest in in doing that so number one is is around your customers and if you suddenly get your customers uh, alignment to your customers everything else sort of falls in check in in my opinion then start thinking about how you help others I think that, you know, having that sort of time in your schedule to literally do some coaching, do some mentoring, not only does that help you become better at your craft, it also helps others, which then, you know, that whole karma thing gets, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's incredible. But alignment is my number one. I, I really, really do think that. And, you know, and, and I think if you get alignment and you start delivering frequently, everything else is easy. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean that's interesting so stick with the but also like what you're saying about uh, uh, the collaborative nature of things because I think yeah we all use slack these days and we use, and it's all supposed to be collaborative but as you say people are still operating as individuals and I, I think it's a psychological uh, change to be actually working in support of other people as opposed to uh, hey I'm communicating get off my back you know
0: yeah, and that's an interesting point because so I've tried to demonstrate that behaviour to my team, and and it's not easy. I try to talk to them when I'm talking to them about the work that I'm doing about you know yeah, there's lots of stuff that I'm doing, but one thing I'm very conscious of is how high helped somebody the other day. You know, I sort of demonstrate that, and then we we and we see that, and and it doesn't have to be. It can be inside the organization, it can be outside, it doesn't matter. But I think that's such an important thing. And um, I think that is where 21st century work is going to be going. I actually do believe that there's an increasingly important part of everybody's, particularly as... You know, the manager is dead. In everybody' comments, that sounds awful. But I don't say it like that. The, ma- yeah. the role of management is becoming less important, and as as the as simple and complicated work gets outsourced to AI and other things, right? So that means that complex work and chaotic work is going to be the norm, right? We get we get that. Mm. So that means that as the age of the creator. Because you're solving complex problems, that requires teams to work together in some sort of creator type model. That means ultimately, at the end of the day, that, we, that the things that become important uh, are more around equipping the skills to solve the problems, which you haven't always got. So that means you have to get help others and vice versa. Anyway, it's the open source thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's going to scale out in ways that we don't really understand in in terms of uh, the change of the way in which we work. Okay, so finish off then. I'll put you on the spot. Um, Thank you very much for this. It's been
1: absolutely brilliant. It does take me back to doing training courses together, which were all good fun. I'm going to finish uh, my side of things with a story uh, from from the Dave West uh, um, um, catalogue of things to do on a training course And on day one, uh, you write on the whiteboard at the top, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, And then on day two, you you rub it off at an opportune moment that's guaranteed to get the most laughs. I remember you doing that (laughs) on more than one occasion. I don't know if that's still a trick in the book, but there you go. Uh, But uh, what I'm going to ask you to leave people with is just uh, if there was one question to ask yourself or if there's one uh, thing that people could start doing or questioning, just to yeah, you know, stand in the mirror and, and, uh, and, and ask that question or, or maybe to ask it of each other uh, in an organization, just to really start getting the hang of um, how to align better, how to collaborate better, et cetera, et cetera. What would you leave people with?
0: I think I would, I'm not sure it's a question, maybe look at the things that you've blamed other people for and think about what you could have done differently or what you can do differently in the future to fix those things. So we can't release software. Testing is a bottleneck. Instead of blaming other people, what can we do to help fix that problem, take responsibility and sit, you know, there's a many list of everybody else's fault. Let's try to identify some of those things that we can take ownership of and fix and improve our own lives.
1: Well, fantastic. So we start and end with responsibility, alignment, collaboration, what's not to like? Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure speaking to you.
0: Thanks, John. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.